si demor bira da geno kardan bira zudror lam karna bira yelso suve karna Welcome to the Superhouse Podcast, everybody. This is the 90th episode. I can't believe we made it. I'm once again joined by Stefan. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> and this week we have an awesome guest. Her name is Dr. Christine Schreier. She's an associate professor of anthropology at the University of British Columbia in Okanagan. And she has actually worked on Man of Steel and the Power Rangers movie that came out this year, 2017. She created Kryptonian, a new version of Kryptonian, not the one from the comic books. Uh, There's a newer version. And she also created Eltarian, which is the language that Zordon and Rita Repulsa speak a little bit in the Power Rangers movie. And in this interview, we're going to be talking about all things linguistics and a couple things nerd-related. We do a fairly deep dive for a fairly short interview. That's basically it, so let's get right to it. My name is Dr. Christine Schreier, and I'm a linguistic anthropologist, and I'm also a language creator. And um, how did you get into language in, in general? Um, did, was this like something that started as when you were a kid, or, or how did this all happen? Um, I started getting interested in languages, I guess, when I was in university. Well, no, that's not true. I guess in high school. Um, I'm Canadian, so as a Canadian, you start taking French from kindergarten. Um, But I never really liked my French teachers. But in high school, I had a really awesome Spanish teacher, and I liked um, learning about that. And then when I was in university, I knew from the time I was 12 that I wanted to be an anthropologist, and I really liked the linguistic sides of that. So then I started getting into more languages. Nice. And, and do you speak any other languages? Um, I always say I speak English fluently, although I've learned many other languages. The one I'm probably most fluent in besides English is Tokpisin, which is a pidgin language from Papua New Guinea, because I do research there as well. Why, uh, why that language in particular, or why Papua New Guinea? Um, I started going to Papua New Guinea with a colleague of mine. When I got to UBC, where I teach, he had done research there in the past and the community members that he worked with wanted me to come or not me they wanted to do a project on their language which is called Kala and I know that language very well also although I'm not fluent in it Um, and so to get to Papua New Guinea and to speak to the Kala people at first I had to learn Pidgin so anyway John invited me my colleague invited me to go because he needed a linguist to go with him and that is um, is that pretty like insanely different from English as far as structure and everything? Talk is actually very similar to English because really? it is a pidgin. Yeah, it's a pidgin language. So it's the lingua franca of Papua New Guinea. Papua okay. New Guinea has 860 languages um, or more, uh, depending on how you count them. But um, they needed a language kind of as the, the lingua franca. So when the colonial governments were in charge, it was this mix of English and another indigenous language. And almost everybody speaks that there now. Okay. The, the indigenous language that I work with there called Kala is quite different than English. Um, it's not as complex as some of the other languages I've studied, but it has different phonologies. So, for example, if you want to say the word canoe, you say wa, but if you want to say uncle, you say wa, 
without uh -huh. nasalizing your vowel. So that differences in little words like that where you change the nasal quality. So it's nasal quality and not tone like Chinese or something? No, that one is particularly nasal vowels. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But That's similar to tone. It's it's they're both super segmentals. Things okay. above the sound. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Do either of you know anything about linguistics? You should tell me so I can modify my answers um, <laughs> for you uh, or your crowd. Stefan, take this first. Not enough, no. Okay. <laughs> I feel okay. like I tell people I have a good ear for languages, but that's about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I lived in Japan for three years, and I've gotten pretty conversational. But um, I've also done, uh, I guess you could just say amateur re research online with Wikipedia and everything, because as soon as I found out the dirt, like the, when I was studying Japanese, I found out that the verbs always at the end, mm -hmm. that just blew my mind right. at first. It's like, they talk about culture shock, but I had language shock. <laughs> I think <laughs> people get that. Yeah. 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 So I, it's just like, I couldn't believe it. And it, it just like the whole, it changes the whole logic of everything. And right. I remember as a kid being in the airport, I was only in the airport like two or three times as a kid, but I remember trying to figure out the French and Spanish ah. and I was going along and reading it. And then I was able to find out that the order of the words was different. And mm -hmm. because as a kid, I just thought languages, all you did was just plug in words in the same order. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought every language in the world was just like English Yeah. as far as order and stuff. So that... Every, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's just mainly order that intrigues me because I've hmm. studied like SOV and v, SVO. This is sub, su, S is subject, V is ver, verb, and O is object. Correct, so, yeah. And, yeah, and I, just for the listener, so with Japanese, it's SOV, subject, yeah. object, verb. English is huh. SVO. Huh. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, yeah, so that's yeah. my background. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so actually, it's interesting because Kryptonian and Eltarian, the two languages they've created for film so far, uh, both are subject object verb languages. So that is a, it, so people compare them to Japanese because of that. Oh, oh the mm -hmm. verb is at the end. Of, oh, that's interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Why did yeah. you choose? Why did you choose that for uh, for those languages? Um, for different reasons. Um, so for Kryptonian, it was based on, because there's this idea that languages reflect the worlds we live in. And so when you're creating a language, you can play with that concept even more. And so um, the Kryptonians were being very selfish and they were blowing up their world. And so they wanted, so I put the subject first. Subjects were most important to them because they were being selfish, but they had this really long history with the artifacts in their world. There was writing all over them. Um, they'd been passed down for generations. And so objects were very important. So they came next and then verbs. So, um, and Eltarian, I'm not sure why we did that actually. I think it was more, again, just reasons like emphasizing who the people were. Eltarian has a very different um, morphology structure. So you can tell from the verb itself who's doing what to who. So you don't always need the subject and object. Yeah. What Were there actual like real living languages that influenced each of these? Um, not, well, yes. So Krypton, not Eltarian so much, but Kryptonian was influenced um, by the Cree writing system. Actually, Cree is an indigenous language from Canada and mm -hmm. it is syllabic. So there are geometrical shapes that are used to write Cree. There are two different writing systems, but that's one that is used. And they're kind of like triangles and little um, half kind of vases and little um, rounded things and dots and 
and um, they flip depending on it's kind of like hiragana and katakana actually if you know Japanese so the way uh -huh. the symbols flip and so I had been thinking about Cree writing systems um, when I got to set the very first day and so that influenced how the letters work in the Kryptonian alphabet um, how they flip back and forth so I sh we should probably talk about how I started working on that since we've jumped right into language stuff. <laughs> yeah, we jumped. That, that, yeah. That, yeah, that was, yeah, let's, let's go ahead with that. <laughs> so yeah. how'd you get mixed up in the movie business in general? Right. So when I was, the, after this first summer, I was in Papua New Guinea. I got really interested in these new languages like Pidgin, um, which is the language I learned there, and also created languages. And that was also around the time that Avatar had come out. And so mm -hmm. I did a survey of people who were learning the Na'vi language from Avatar because I was really curious about them because Klingon has been around for ages and there are many people who've learned Klingon since it was created in 1984. Right. But Na'vi was new with Avatar coming out in late 2009, early 2010, um, depending on where you were in the world. And so I did an online survey of people who were learning Na'vi to see why they were learning it, how they were learning it, and I got an amazing response. I had almost 300 people from around the world, something like 47 countries in nine different languages. And the university I work at did a media release about that. So it got into the newspapers um, around the world, but also in Canada. And the production designer from Man of Steel, Alex McDowell, was flying from Chicago, where they were already filming the Smallville sections of the movie, to Vancouver, where they were gonna be doing the on Kryptonian set pieces and read the piece about my work with the Navi language and realized they needed something to actually have meaning uh, behind the language they were going to put on. They all So I worked mostly in the art department at first because they were writing it all over the set pieces because there was this long history of writing on objects in the world they envisioned. And that's how I got there. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they don't actually speak Kryptonian in the movie, correct? Sadly, they do not. No, um, they did film a few pieces because people got really excited about it. But um, it was in the middle of production, and they were kind of thrown in, and it didn't really flow with everything else. So they didn't they didn't make it through the final cut. Wait, I mean, how much can you reveal of this? Who was speaking to who, and about what? Um, I yeah, no, I can tell you that. Uh, so it was Russell Crowe would have been speaking to Henry Cavill, so Jor-El speaking to Kal-El. Um, I can't really remember what the lines were actually because it was so long ago now. That was 2011, so uh -huh. six years ago. Yeah. But it was something like my son or my blood or I don't know, something something like that. Um, because I remember I had, to, I had to do the audio recordings of those lines and send them in to set. Um, and then they said, do you mind if we give Russell Crowe your cell phone number in case he needs to talk to you about how to say this? Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. said, no, you go ahead and give Russell Crowe my cell phone number. That's, totally <laughs> That's awesome. He never did call. No. Oh, really? Is there, can you, can you speak any of it? Sure. Um, Sorry to jump in. No, no go ahead. Okay. Yeah, Stephanie, um, anytime. I'm trying to, Sitan is hello in Kryptonian, which oh, is uh -huh. actually, there's a couple Easter eggs in Kryptonian. <laughs> Um, so that is actually Cree backwards. So I, I started doing some more of those words. Like I hadn't uh -huh. put them in um, originally because a lot of media interest. So that's um, in Cree to say hello, you say tanse. So in Kryptonian, you say sitan, which is like the reverse syllables of tanse. Yeah, sitan. Yeah, sitan, hello. Yeah. And then uh, to say goodbye, it's I work with another indigenous language in Canada. So I had to balance them out. So that one's called clinket. 
And to say mm-hmm. goodbye in Clinkit, you'd say Tuyeksikwasitini. So to say goodbye mm-hmm. in Kryptonian, you say Quincitan. Uh, Quin- yeah, Quincitini, I guess. It's the opposite. I don't uh, often say goodbye. I say hello mostly. Cool. So, yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. But the word, one of the other words that a lot of people know is um, the word for hope because oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the S doesn't mean doesn't mean super anymore. It means yeah. hope on his world. And so the actual word for hope, when you pronounce it, is malor. Malor. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. I never even that's thought amazing. about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be hope, right? It would be something. Yeah, like, I remember, I remember oh. that part in, the, in Man of Steel really sticking out to me. I liked that, that it was like, it was part of the alien culture he was coming from as opposed to, you know, the earlier versions of Superman, it'd be just standing for like super guy, super dude, you know, like, right. Yeah. I just thought that was really, I love details like that. Yeah. No. And that was, um, if you watch the special features on the Blu-ray, Alex McDowell says, this was a huge design problem, right? It couldn't be S. So we needed another way to write because that's no longer S and that's why it's more stylistically different. Cool. And there was a lot of Kryptonian written in the fabric of the suit too, right? That was actually not until um, Batman versus Superman. So oh, if you, okay. they changed the suit between, um, but yes, there is a, a Joseph Campbell quote that's written into the, the yeah. S and the gold. And then also it's, it's also throughout. It's on anytime you see gold on his wrists, on the belt, um, it's written through there. I don't know actually which pieces they put where, so don't ask me that, but um, it is uh-huh. a Joseph Campbell quote. Do you happen to know that quote? I love, I love Joseph Campbell. Yeah, it's the one about where you sought to find, hold on, let me see if I can get the whole thing out. Uh, Just a minute. Talk amongst yourselves. That that makes me begin to like Man of Steel more now. Um, (laughs) He's got Joseph Campbell written on his costume. Yeah. Yeah. And where we had thought to find an abomination, we shall find a god. Where we had thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. Where we had thought to travel outward, we shall come to the center of our own existence. Where we had thought to be alone, we shall be with all the world. That's amazing. And that's in in the suit with the blue parts of it i think i can't remember exactly yeah kind of in the gold like in the in the shield on the on his chest right but also anywhere there's gold so yeah what a subtle like (laughs) yeah to go to to those lengths to get that kind of Zack snyder loves yeah loves those details (laughs) so um and like i said that's not till um uh batman versus superman is where yeah. that appears. Yeah. It makes that character seem so much more interesting to me now. Like he's he's wearing this philosophical kind of like right. concept. Anyway. Yeah. There's, there's a lot there, man. Were you pretty familiar yeah. with Superman before going into this or did you have no. to kind of bone up? Uh, no, I did. And luckily a lot of that was done for me by other people. Okay. Um, so they had done a lot of that work ahead of time. And so I did, I became more interested as we went along, but no, I, I, knew some of the names I'd watched the early Christopher Reeves movies. Um, nice. Yeah, but it wasn't really a super, super fan, although I am now. My husband and I often fight over Batman versus Superman. So. <laughs> when I met him, you he created, used to wear... You end it with like, I created his language. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, you do with your yeah. Batman? When I met him, he used to wear a Batman <laughs> necklace. So that was always nice. funny. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then there was the cereal. Did you guys have the cereal where you were? There was the Batman versus Superman cereal. I have it unopened yeah. in my drawer. Oh, now. nice. Yeah. Which one? The Batman or the Superman? Both. Oh, good. See, I took the Superman and I, I cut it, the box up. I actually ate the cereal. It was fairly good. Um, 
<laughs> Some people say Superman won the cereal war because the nice. taste was better. Oh, but wow. yeah. um, Batman yeah, was it up just and despair I... and yeah, <laughs> like, it was black. It was chocolate. It was turns yeah. the milk black. joy in the Superman. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, I framed it and put it in my office. So that's my one Superman thing in my office. Awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. And so, do you want to do you want to hear the Kryptonian? At least one line from that quote. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. it in front of me, so it's rare I have that up. So since you yeah, guys awesome. have it, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is and where we thought so we thought to find an abomination, we shall find a god. Um, and uh, abomination was the word for monster, actually, because I didn't have a word for abomination. So anyway. Mm -hmm. Sidemore bira dachenal kardan bira zuduror. Sorry, I don't speak Kryptonian that often. Lam karna bira yel so suve karna. I'll say it one more time. Sidemore bira dachenal kardan bira zudror. Lam karna bira yel so suve karna. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Thanks. Amazing. Do you so yeah. when you when you imagine it like let's say you heard it on I the street, would you want it to sound somewhat Middle Eastern or just more like Cree or No, there... no, no, not like Cree. Cree is so much more complex than that. <laughs> uh -huh. Um I don't know really actually. I think melodic is something that I was going for. Yeah. Um, just based on the costumes and, and yeah. the feel of Krypton. Like there was, no, I don't know if you know this, there was not a straight line on Krypton. Everything was rounded. So kind oh, of yeah. rounded sounds and smooth and melodic is kind of, that yeah. Kind of alien kind of feel to things. It does feel elevated, you know, it feels like an, like a language like above mm -hmm. humanity, you know, it's like, it's, uh. it's, like, it's, like, it's like bird singing or something, you know, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're communicating something, but we just, it's beyond us. There you go. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I want to know, so uh, Russell Crowe and Henry Cavill, were they pretty good at this or uh, can you, do you want to even answer that? I don't even know because okay. I wasn't on, and it would have been Russell Crowe, I think more than Henry Cavill. Um, but uh, I wasn't on set when they were doing it. I was teaching actually oh, okay. <laughs> at UBC. So I, I didn't get to hear it, but yeah, I don't know. I can't tell you. I knew it was mostly for art direction. Right. Correct? Like yeah, in, like I, in, I worked in the art department for that yeah. film. So yeah. yeah. And you created like, a written language as well. Yeah, I, I helped give ideas for that, but there was a graphic designer named um, Kirsten Franson who did the, the full design of the symbols. Okay. And uh, we got to the point where she and I could write back and forth to each other and kind of know what was going on when nobody else did. That's awesome. Um, and she's an amazing uh, designer and has worked on many, many films. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And were you excited to actually get the language spoken in the Power Rangers movie? Yes, that was the first time I got to hear one of my languages on film. So that was very exciting. Um, and it and it doesn't it helps that it's the first scene, right? Like it's yes. it's the first thing you hear. <laughs> the guy's not here. So that now, was great. And it, and I, I actually got going, to work sorry. with the actors on that one too. So that was really fun. You were I, I was so I actually found you from watching the the behind the scenes uh, specials on the Power Rangers Blu-ray. Oh, and they start talking about you, and it was Elizabeth Banks. She like got pretty fluent in the language. Yeah, she did pretty good. She was really enthusiastic about it, so that was fun. She's awesome. Yeah, and, and I love that, her. That one to me also kind of sounds sort of kind of Middle Eastern, I guess. That is definitely true. Um, that has a lot of guttural, uh, like guttural glottal sounds uh -huh. um because that i there was a lot more um input from dean israelite the director of that one he wanted it very kind of um like greek or hebrew or like something more 
yeah ancient, ancient yeah that was his, because that was of his direction who, going in greek or he's yes Jewish? Okay. absolutely yeah and he got really good at saying those sounds he should have been recorded um he was really into that those like sounds and, and things that were <laughs> yeah. challenging for the actors actually if you listen to some of the other interviews from brian cranston and bill hatter cool yeah so did i mean kind of the same questioning here but going into that did you know anything about that franchise whatsoever i knew less about that one actually i had watched the early power rangers um, when i was a kid and yeah, knew way less, but I did actually get to speak to um, a, a consultant from Sabin, um, who told me kind of the history and the characters, and That's and cool. I did that before I I spoke to Dean, I believe that was the order. Um, I spoke to Dean quite a lot actually; he was very involved, which I, I appreciated. Um, so yeah, she gave me a lot of insights on and what she thought it should sound like, and and some of the mottos of the Power Rangers. Um, Never escalate the battle, I think, is one of them, and and so I kept wow. those things in mind when I was creating it. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. basically your direction for that was just keep it ancient sounding like Greek and Hellenic. <laughs> and and yeah. was, there, was there anything else other than, I guess, the uh, what else you, you just said? Not really. Um, sometimes I'd cr there was a lot of back and forth early on with Dean saying, you know, I don't, it's not um, gruff enough or it's, I need more of this. And so he would change things or like some of the words are too long. Like we need them shorter. So he had a lot more input than any of the other directors I've ever worked with, uh, wow. which was great. I like that. Um, I'm trying to think what else about the language, um, other inputs, uh, because it's, m so the power Rangers morph, right? They're the mighty Morphin power Rangers. Uh -huh. yeah. So because there's a piece of linguistics called morphology, which is the study of how <laughs> words are put together. Oh, man. Uh -huh. I, I got really complicated more than I should have for the timeline in which I was making cool. this on how words got put together. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's subject, object, verb, but because you can add who's doing what to who, which are morphemes onto the words, you don't always need that. So the words got longer, but then Dean was like, no, no, we need them shorter. <laughs> so it kind of, uh, it was, yeah, roundabout. Is that yeah. like morphemes, is that similar to agglutinative? Yes, agglutinating morphology. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so there are different ways you can put morphemes together. And agglutinative is one of them. Or isolating, where they're just individual words. Or the really complex long ones, like Cree, is called polysynthetic or synthetic. Uh, yeah. Just for the listener, uh, is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. agglutinative is where, like in English, you'll end something with ed to make it past. But there's like you can just keep on adding stuff after the stem. Mm -hmm. like there's a lot more additions to the stem, correct? Yeah, um, but they're regular and they don't mean more than one thing. So sometimes you'll have something um, where it will be, it'll be plural, but it's also feminine or something. And so that's a different type of morphology. So it's uh -huh. more simple and regular. And there is a limit to what you can put on. Where polysynthetic is, it keeps going and going and the order can be changed. Agglutinative, okay. it's very regular. Like you have to put ED at the end, right? It right. never goes in the middle. Where polysynthetic, right. you can mix those up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um. What so these two movies, Man of Steel, Power Rangers? Were you surprised at how they turned out ultimately, or was it pretty much <laughs> what you were expecting, or just in general, um, not just the language part? part. Yeah, uh, I didn't really have any expectations for Man of Steel, and I I did I liked it a lot, but I, I like many people, I feel like the battle scene at the end is a little long. <laughs> uh -huh. um, I really liked Batman versus Superman more than I thought I would. I was wow. not sure about Ben Affleck actually, but I didn't mind him. 
Oh, hold on. I have a phone ringing in my house. Okay, no problem. Hold for phone. It holds for phone. Stefan, what do you think of this interview so far? I think it's amazing. We've had some good guests on before, but but goddamn. <laughs> well that's no, lovely I'm, thank you i'm enjoying the discussion and then i i think about like like listeners who will tune in or whatever and like you know we've had a lot of different topics on that we've talked about but just like it sounds like not having any kind of background in ling- linguistics whatsoever like i know a little bit of spanish um <laughs> it, it's it's like it's like code you know but it's it, i can feel my mind like being nurtured by this code oh well that's that's a great compliment yeah. thank you oh yeah for sure I, I love language and like I just I don't I don't know much about it, but this this discussion has been like really awesome. Great. <laughs> and it, you know, being like, it makes me like Superman, like I was saying too. Just, <laughs> um, um, who are your typical alienness. listeners? Um, fanboys. Fanboys, yeah. I think. Some fangirls, maybe. Friends mostly, and family. Uh, <laughs> mostly superheroes or other things. We do a lot of like yeah. A lot of movie reviews yeah. usually comic book. I think movies, yeah, that kind of like but... movie geek, where geek movie geek and movie culture kind of crosses over. I think okay. where, where we kind of like. But we do like to have. We haven't done this recently, but we do have some history doing culture-related stuff. I've done two travel documentary type things for the podcast yeah. on. Uh, we have a YouTube channel as well. Yeah, I think and, you know. Like, Sorry, and, we, and you're also the second linguist we've had on here. But we had yeah, you mentioned that. Yes, this guy's actually in um, Hokkaido right now in Japan, oh. teaching English. But he lived in Mongolia for a while, and he speaks fairly well <laughs> Mongolian, apparently. And uh, we talked about that Altaic theory, uh, right? A little right. bit. He knew some of it, and uh, that's it as far as I can remember. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So the phone has stopped ringing. If you what, what were we talking about? Remind me. We're talking about just your general impressions with Man oh, Steel, yeah. but what about Power Rangers then? Yeah, Power Rangers. I really liked Power Rangers. I was surprised by that because I thought it was more going to be like a teen film, but it. So people um, kind of call it the Breakfast Club of superhero movies, and yeah. I loved the yeah. Breakfast Club. And I I saw that. I really liked how they developed the characters. Uh, because of course I didn't work with any of the teenagers; they didn't speak the language at all. But right. um, yeah, I really liked how it ended up, and I'm I'm looking forward to more if they're going to make more. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that movie didn't make like a, it wasn't like a huge blockbuster. I think it made okay, but I actually really liked it too. And every time I go to the conventions and I talk to people about it, they all love it. Yeah. So all the fans really liked that movie, but. I don't know if we're going to be getting a sequel or not. I'd like one personally, but um, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I heard there was a lot of sales of the the action figures and things afterwards from yeah. kids that didn't necessarily see the movie in the theater, but were still really into it. So I feel like it still might be coming as a sequel. I don't know. It was the, yeah. They the, I I did a lot of research on this. The toys were number one while the movie was out, or a little bit after while the movie was out. Mm-hmm. After it was out, and. Uh, it was also it was number one rentals that month, uh, DVD and Blu-ray rentals, like the first week. Yeah, I heard that too. So yeah, there's some fan base, I guess. Um, it did kind of like make it a bit older than the show was. The 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 target audience was they were aiming for a little bit older than what the original show target was. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that also kind of switched things up, but it was good for me. Um, <laughs> 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 all right. So anyway. Um, okay. Uh, back to Kryptonian for a second. Wasn't sure. did you? 
I think they did put Kryptonian in one of the animated movies, didn't they? Maybe before you were even on. Oh yeah, that um, I wouldn't know about that. As far as I know, it had never been um, spoken. I, I feel like it had Supergirl. As far as I don't actually watch Supergirl, I probably should. But I've heard that it's been spoken on Supergirl now. And that's but not language. not mine. No, somebody oh. else did that one. So I don't oh, really wow. know actually who's doing that. Somebody keep people keep asking Surfer. me, is it me? And and I'm, no, I don't know who's doing that. I don't know if it's <laughs> real. Like because people can make gibberish, right? But is this an actual language that's been developed? And it's odd that they wouldn't have been in touch with me. But it's different producers and things. So yeah. yeah. Um. Did you have anything, Stefan? Oh, no. Sorry. Okay. So uh, kind of switching gears from movies in general, um, do you – would you like people to be more passionate about linguistics in general or, or are you kind of okay with where it's at now or, or do you see the kind of interest in the study rising maybe or, or no? That was a lot of questions. But do you, do, you, do, you hope, do you hope for the average person to be more interested in linguistics? Sorry, you guys cut out on me. I missed what most oh. of you just said. Okay. Do you wish that people were more passionate about linguistics in general? Um, yeah, I don't so you were talking about how your audience is, is fans and fanboys and I've done a TEDx talk where I say we should all be language fans and I call myself a language yeah. fangirl. <laughs> um nice. and I not necessarily linguistics, but languages. Like I feel like because so many of the world's languages are endangered, which means dominant languages are taking over and um, there 90% of the world's languages are actually in danger of no longer being spoken past the generation currently existing. And I talk about being a language fangirl. So to help raise awareness about that and to also find ways to help protect and promote these minority and indigenous languages. Yeah, there's, I kind of wish, like I, I got really into learning Japanese just from video games mm. and some anime, but I do know that most people that watch anime and play video games have absolutely no interest in studying Japanese. So sometimes I wish there was more of an interest in, in that, yeah. you know, yeah. It's, I, it's, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. That's basically it. I, you know, it's just like, it's cool that they're into another culture and they'll read subtitles. A lot of anime fans are like, they won't, they won't listen to the dub version, but, uh, still it's, I don't know, man. It's like you got, you got this far. Why not take it a little bit further? Yeah. Cause it can be so enriching to learn that, to learn another language and the culture because you, you also notice that the culture is completely intertwined with the language they're basically yeah. inseparable right so absolutely and as a anthropologist that's someone who studies culture right so whenever i look at a language i always think about those connections and so um, i think i'm one of the few actually i know i am one of the few language creators that actually is an anthropologist as well as being a linguist and so i've considered a lot of that when I look at the languages that I make. Um, and I know other people do as well. David Peterson absolutely considers the culture when he's making languages for Game of Thrones or whatever it is. But um, cool. yeah, it's an interesting connection that a lot of people don't consider. It's Have you done any work with Game of Thrones? I haven't. That is entirely David Peterson's um, show and everything has been through him. David Peterson and I have worked on a documentary together though called Conlanging, the art of crafting tongues. So Conlang cool. is the word, it's um, a blend for constructed languages. So uh -huh. if you make a 
constructed language. It's a conlang. And yeah, it's a documentary film. It just came out. Um, we premiered it in Calgary, Alberta uh, at the Language Creation Conference, the seventh Language Creation Conference there in July. And uh, it's now available for download or streaming uh, off of the conlanging website. Cool. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah, if you're interested in like how people make languages at all or... Yeah. Um, for the, and the other, so um, David and I were both executive producers, as was David Sallow, who was the Lord of the Rings linguist, who works on the, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings movies and developed Tolkien's languages further. And then also mm -hmm. our associate producers were Paul Frommer, who made Navi, and uh, Marco Crand, who made Klingon. Cool. So you get to hear about all of those languages in the film. <laughs> I don't know how much of a Trekkie you are, but is, I would assume that Klingon is the most complete one just because it's had more the most time to develop yeah i would say so um navi though is giving it a run for its money like avatar two and three are coming out soon but there was a they took very different approaches to how the languages would develop after the first things came out and so klingon definitely has a huge following it's got dictionaries it's got people who speak it and play scrabble in it and you know like people know klingon um and then navi is like that as well where people have you know played games together i know in our film we feature a couple who got married because they met learning navi together and oh. they speak to their dog or you know whatever in navi and and so i feel like that one is coming up close and because there will be these other avatar movies coming out and the like a lot of the film will be in navi as compared to english or whatever it is so yeah have you seen the latest series star trek discovery I actually haven't watched it yet, but I've been following a lot of the Twitter conversation and uh -huh. I'm friends with um, Kov, who's the uh, Klingon translator for the new Star Trek series. And she's done an amazing job from what I can tell. It is crazy because it opens up with Klingon, I think. Yeah. And there's like half the show, it seems like, is in Klingon. At least the yeah. first two episodes. Full scenes. Like, I feel like we've never really gotten it. The Maybe level of Klingon. This level <laughs> yeah. of Klingon, and it's like so gruff, and uh, it's it's awesome. Like I kind of like watching the Klingon scenes more than the, the English scenes. <laughs> I will go and tell her that. Yeah, she's um, another Canadian and uh, uh, was hired because they were filming in Canada, and she was the best Klingon speaker in Canada. And she's amazing. She's yeah, she's been so fun to follow on Twitter lately because she'll look at how people are calling out the Klingon like complimenting it or not and then like write something in Klingon to them and, nice. and then translate it for, she's great I love her we've been Twitter friends for a while so this is some basic knowledge about it but um, the uh, you know it's supposed to be intertwined with the culture right so it's <laughs> absolutely Kryptonian, I'm not Kryptonian Klingon Klingon culture is really gruff so apparently saying hello is the equivalent of saying what do you want Yes. Yeah, that is exactly true. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing, man. Yeah. And there's no, like a lot of them don't have, I don't think Klingon has a word for thank you. Neither does Dothraki. Like it's just. Oh, it's like that gruff. Yeah. They just don't have that in the culture. Right. So. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, do you have, I guess you can't really discuss any uh, upcoming projects or anything. I can say that I do have an upcoming project. I'm not allowed or at liberty to talk about it in any great detail, but um, I can sure let you know when it comes out, <laughs> if you'd cool. like to talk about that one. But um, yeah. You heard it here yeah. first, yeah. folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This will be a part two a few months from now. Right, yeah. We just broke a story. 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very limited details. Um, Yeah. I I also, I mean, the Conlanging film just came out, but that was also very involved in the world of language making. And yeah, that's, that's about it for now. And of course my academic research, this is always my fun side of things. My little projects I get to do on the side. Um, not like David where he gets to do it full time is his job. So um, I was in Papua New Guinea for a month this summer and um, work with other indigenous communities here in Canada. So lots of other academic things to be working on language related. It, I, this, I'm going to like really switch topics here, but I just thought of this. Sure. Um, since we don't have much time, but uh, is, is it true? I, I read this one time, I think, but is it true that the, basically the main theory of where language comes from is like, we're Neanderthal, the caveman, Cro-Magnon man. And basically if we hear like an animal sound, we'll just mimic, we would just mimic the animal sound. And that became the word for it for a while. Like dog was a wolf, wolf, for example. And then, <laughs> right. Like a, a theory of onomatopoeia. Like we, make, yeah. Is that an actual sense? real theory? That I, I feel like that was the theory that has fallen out of style. Oh, so right. yeah. Um, I mean, I think it would happen gestures. People talk a lot about gestures and, and sign languages kind of developing before people knew what to do with their vocal cords. Um, uh. But also there's ideas about complexities of sound systems and how those evolved over time. And so, um, yeah, some of the sounds that animals make might not have been sounds that could be controlled by vocal cords and early human ancestors. Like they used to say, I believe Neanderthals had speech 100%, uh-huh. but they used to say that they didn't have that full range of vocal control that um, the anatomically modern humans did. And that was one of the things that led to their demise. Um, but you can still make languages like Kryptonian only has four vowels. And you can still make, and a lot of languages around the world don't have that complexity of sound. So there, there's been a lot of um, debate about that and, and what happened. But now people date the origin of language to about 2.5 million years ago, like to really early ancestors, actually. Cool. Were we, yeah. were we modern human? Like the Cro-Magnon man have language or? Oh, yeah. By that point, definitely. Okay. Um, and so they're dating it to even earlier, like um, the... Yeah like homo habilis and, and the ones uh-huh. who had tools like so as soon as you have tools and you have to show someone how to use the tools you have to have a like a more complex form of communication is the yeah. idea behind that or art or um, group hunting so other ways other things you need communication for is kind of where they're dating things at this point makes you wonder what uh that means for like storytelling and the pre like written mm-hmm. word era you know and stories traveling or cautionary tales or whatever yeah a lot of indigenous societies had great storytelling tradition because um they didn't have a history of literacy for so long right so beautiful stories and really poetics and then the rhetoric that they would use to tell stories and get audiences involved and yeah there's great great literature on that oh my god (laughs) you love that shit i love it i do i like it's just obviously and i'm just scratching the surface here but I don't know. We cover a versatile topic. Uh, totally. Uh, eclectic. You're like eclectic. Super yeah. house. It's a, it's a I, I just, I educational love the platform I, as much as it's entertainment. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of pop culture influencing, um, actually going out and doing something else. Like let's say you, I don't know, just being inspired by anything in pop culture. So not just being a fan, like your activity isn't just limited to, watching that thing on tv but you actually went out and replicated that in real life in some way 
Yeah. Um, That's which, actually what I was really interested in when I was w looking at the Navi speakers because I was really curious. Like I work with these communities who are trying to like maybe no children have learned this language for two generations and the elders still speak it but they're, you know, dying out. And how do these children start learning the language again when there are people, fans from, you know, Avatar came out in 2009 and by my survey date in 2018, or 2000, sorry, not 18, 2011, it had been out for 18 months and they said they were fluent speakers. So how were they getting to that level through their fandom when yeah. endangered language communities have been trying to do this for years and are yeah, not getting true. those speakers? And it's that wow. passion for the fandom that yeah. really did that. So how can communities who are trying to create these programs to bring back languages capture that fandom passion and use that um, to help their own communities? So you got to make like a fun action movie with that language or something. Sure, yeah. Like maybe, maybe there's an increase in learning Mayan after Apocalypto. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's sometimes they'll do different. I mean, if you have enough speakers who are able to translate and do that work, like, um, there's Bambi and Navajo and, and Arapaho and other things, right? So, um, yeah. yeah, sometimes it happens. What's the most different alien sounding language on earth, in your opinion? <laughs> Naturally oh, occurring. I, I, I can't judge because I'm an anthropologist and we see all languages as equally fascinating. <laughs> um, <laughs> Probably some of the ones that have been most challenging that I've worked on, just most challenging in terms of the sounds, is um, the Salish languages in the area that I live in and Klinket because they share a lot of sounds. So they have these popping sounds that are actually in Navi. They're uh, called ejective sounds. So you don't let any air out of your lungs. You just use the air you have, and then you go. Whoa. Whoa. It's like um, Instead of. Yeah, right? Um, and then they do that like all through the mouth. So they'll do like like ones at the very far back of your mouth. And um, yeah, there's a lot of complexity in those sounds. So yeah. See, see, that's even crazier than language structure to me, <laughs> I guess. You know, that's just, just like yeah. one, one part of the equation. It's, uh, the, is the, the sonic structure. force of it as well, you know, the way it hits your ear or whatever. There's actually been a really, this is a little off topic again now too, but there's been a really interesting study done um, about how languages that have those popping sounds, like I just said, are mm. spoken in mountainous regions. And there's mm. this theory that they're spoken up there because there's limited air the higher up a mountain you go. Whoa, and wow. so they wouldn't have to use the air in their lungs. And so it's to help with altitude um, sickness or whatever. You, you use these sounds with less air or oxygen. So it's a fascinating theory, and there's actually been yeah. quite a good study on it. <laughs> and there's no connection with that to the clicking languages? No, I haven't heard a theory on – actually, I have. I shouldn't say that, about the clicking languages. So it's about um, – a lot of them are in the desert, like in Africa, and it's drier there, and it's easier to click when it's drier climate, I've heard. Uh, so, But I haven't heard the full like academic study on that one, but yeah. The only – I mean, the only other language I'm really familiar with is Japanese. And one of the mm -hmm. things I noticed was like only up, up until like 200 years ago or so, they had a ye, Y-E. Mm. But in modern Japanese, they don't have this. You know, there's a beer called Ebisu. Yeah. But that was originally Yebisu. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I, li I also lived sound. in Japan for a year. Oh, so. yeah. 
we need to talk about that just before you go, I think. Sure. But it, it's, it just seems like Japanese being a high-context language, and they and they throw out everything they don't need. It's, like, so efficient. Because I, it's also the culture thing where everything is just read, read in, the, in the air of the room, you know? Right. You don't have to explain that much. And if, if the subject's already understood, you don't even say the subject anymore in the sentence and all this. But it's also, but it's just crazy. It got to the point where they're just dropping sounds, and I wonder, mm-hmm. <laughs> is it going to just keep on getting like more simplified as it goes <laughs> along? Cool. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy. That's interesting. Oh, and are there is... dialects of Japanese that kept that sound, or is it gone completely? Because uh, there are a lot of dialects in Japan too. There are some dialects. Um, the most different one being, uh, being uh, Okinawan. Yeah. Uh, it, Okinawa Ooh, sounds like a different language just about, but apparently the, I don't know much about it, but apparently the, the language structure is the same. It's, it's a, yeah. but, uh, so it's, it is Japanese, but it's just really, really different. And there's also one called Tsugaru-ben, T-S-U-G-A-R-U, and Ben means accent, mm. so Tsugaru-ben. Yeah. And, uh, that one is in Hokkaido, the other side of the or near Hokkaido, and that one's also really, apparently really different. Not as different as Okinawan, but it's pretty different. If, if mm-hmm. they've kept yay or not, I don't know. But, yeah, uh, no, just curious. Sometimes the isolated dialects will do that, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was also Ainu, which is not even Japanese, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, and then there's Ryukin, which is on the Okinawan Islands as well. Right. What, what were you doing in Japan exactly? I was teaching English. Um, I taught, when were you, when did you live in Japan? 06 to 09. Okay. Was Nova still around in 06? Nova the English was, school? Nova was dying, died while I was there. Ah, there you go. So I taught for Nova in 2003 to 4. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I lived on Kyushu in a little town or a little city called Oita. Oh, did you learn much yeah. Japanese while you lived there? I did, but... Um, a very polite, formal Japanese. <laughs> okay. I would take lessons with an elder, elderly lady, um, and I forgot uh, most of it. Like I know things like sukue or dozu desune or stuff like that. Like I don't really remember much at this point, but yeah, I did learn some when I was there. Yeah. Gengo Gaksha is linguist. Oh, there you go. I think I learned the word for anthropologist at the time, but I forget that. Jindui Gaksha or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Anyway, that's what I was doing there. Awesome. Did you have any culture shock while you were there? Um, no, I had more. Um, I married my husband, and 10 days later, we moved to Japan. So it was more like newlywed shock. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, like we were living together for the first time in Japan. Uh, so that was an interesting thing. <laughs> but we did it, and we we're still together, you know, that many years later. That's good. What Almost he, 15, yeah. What does he do? He was a teacher um, and uh, has taught in various places, colleges, and uh, also is a bike mechanic and a GIS specialist and does lots of different things. So Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Um, do you have any questions for us? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I, yeah, I just wanted to know more about your podcast, but uh, any last questions for you from you guys on um, the two languages? Um, let's things? see here. Um, were these the first two big languages you made as far as like for movies and stuff or? 
Kryptonian was the first language I ever made, actually. Um, I would assign my students the task of making languages, and I still do if I teach my introductory course. So when I teach them about linguistics and the pieces of language, then the students get to work on building their own languages. And yeah, it's a great project. People love it. And they really learn about how languages work. And then they have to think about the culture as well. So the first thing we do is they choose the sounds because we talk about sounds. And then the next thing we do is learn about how words are put together. And they're like, great, now I have sounds. How am I going to put them together? Wait a minute, what words do I need? And then they realize, oh, I need to know who's speaking this and what they're going to say before I make a word, right? So um, they kind of back learn about how language and culture are connected. So they had done that a lot. And I have um, had many, many students make piece, not full languages, the starts of languages. And uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you ever made one that was VSO, verb, subject, object? No, I haven't yet. Um, that would be a really interesting one for sure. I find that interesting because yeah. that would be like action is the most important thing right. since it's first. The verb is yeah. first. Um, yeah, I've, I've looked at languages that do that um, or that like most things are verb. They're more verb heavy, but I've never made one like that. So that would be fun to play with. Isn't um, Celtic is verb, subject, object? Oh, I don't know. What Do you know offhand which ones are the naturally occurring ones? No, not really. It's not okay. a thing that I look at too much. Sorry. <laughs> okay, no problem. <laughs> I know Klingon is object, subject, verb. I, I looked that up. So that's like the, the, the they wanted the, the most alien sounding language. So they went Absolutely. with the most obscure, the, mo the least naturally occurring uh, yep. Word order, right? Yes, I think it's object subject verb instead of object verb subject. I think it's maybe object, it's object verb subject. Yeah, actually, the more I think about it, that's correct. Yeah, because it's the opposite from English. Yes. Most naturally occurring is like English subject verb object. No, no, correct. no. Actually, yeah. it's isn't it the the most amount of speakers is that, but the most number of languages is actually like oh S O V. I think. Oh, I don't know, actually. Because Chinese... Typology is not a thing Go ahead. that I look at too much, but anyway. Okay. I don't know why that, that just yeah. intrigues me so much, that, that part, portion yeah. of it. More than even pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> it's uh, fascinating. It's fascinating stuff, for sure. Yeah, it is. Cool. Um, well, let's see. I think that, that could be that could be it. Um Unless you have anything uh, there, Stefan. Uh, no, I was going to ask like what it takes to set on the path of beginning to like start a language, but I think you answered that question, kind of set me on my own path. Um, oh, okay. That was cool. I, I mean, I like to do a lot of writing. I'm like, I love like Joseph Campbell mythology and stuff like that. So I really like when shows specifically, especially like Game of Thrones right now, is like really enthralling to me. Is like all the different languages and the subtleties between the separate languages and stuff like that. And I, you know, it would be nice to make my own in my own personal fiction or whatever. Yeah, a awesome. lot of people That's end so up awesome. doing that. Um, there's yeah. another great, so David Peterson has a book out called The Art of Language Invention, which is a great beginner's tool. It definitely cool. tells you oh, how nice. to break things down. But yeah. there's also a really supportive group, um, the Language Creation Society, which you can find online. And mm -hmm. they have listservs and various chats and um, lots of resources on there. And a lot of people there have been making languages for 30 or 40 years, and they're always willing to help newcomers. So they're awesome. another great resource. Mm-hmm. 
And a lot of them wrote languages for fiction. A lot of them are sci-fi writers or fantasy. Or, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. <laughs> are there any yeah. common, common mistakes students make whenever they're making a language? Are there, but are there any, are there mistakes in doing this? I say no, although I'm, there are different opinions on that. People always um, comment on whether or not that's true. Um, so I think a lot of people, if they get stuck in their own dominant language frame, so if you're an English speaker and you can't break out of that, so you make your kind of like, it's more like a cipher where you have a root that means the same thing as the English root. And then you pluralize it in the same way that you would pluralize it in English or um, you have still subject verb object and you can't break away from that or so kind of mapping onto English instead of being creative with the language is is something that I try to encourage my students not to do. Right. Um, yeah, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's bad. It's just uh, a, maybe a different form of doing it. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I think that might do it for for us. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for being accommodating <laughs> time wise. Yeah, thank no you. problem. We wanted to get you in and out of here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 90 of the Superhouse podcast. We want to thank our guest, Dr. Christine Schreier, uh, for coming on, talking language with us, talking geek movies and how those two things come together and, and become a powerful force uh, for nerddom. Uh, it was a really good conversation. And be sure to check out all our social media, donate to our Patreon. We could sure use uh, uh, some new shoes. Because I don't think collectively either of us have a whole pair. Please give us shoes. This is Stefan from the Superhouse Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Patreon, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any other godforsaken social media outlet that we that we should be floating on we are basically on all social media yeah, all social media mainly facebook and twitter and patreon check out the links in the description we have a lot of uh cool goals uh set up on our patreon like if you donate a dollar you'll be able to uh give us a topic for us to talk about and that's we'll talk dope. about for maybe an hour or more who knows yeah. how long it'll take and that's pretty tight <laughs> That's the coolest thing. <laughs> Wait, we're on the internet? That's pretty good. If you and we can make money. <laughs> what? <laughs> if you donate $1,000, you get full frontal nudes. We haven't set that up, but it's a possibility. If you give us a grant, who knows what will happen. Check us out. I'll do that. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> you get to go on a date with one of us for $10,000. <laughs> but you pay for everything. <laughs> <laughs> you get to have your way with Maddie for $20,000. I'm a million, I'll give you Joey for a weekend. <laughs> for $30,000, we'll help you hide a body. Check out our Patreon. <laughs> Superhouse Gigolo Project 2017. <laughs> Links in the description. <laughs>
You're listening to the Geekscape Network.